I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's episode of the Inspired Evolution. It is an absolute treat as always to have you here. And if you're enjoying these episodes, feel free to subscribe. We love having you around. Leave us a comment in YouTube so I can write back to you. This week we have on the show Daphna Lender. Daphna is really awesome. She's talking about playfulness and how to keep playfulness alive in parenting. She believes that playfulness is actually something that's quite profound and it has a lot of healing um, woven into the abilities of play. This is a conversation for people that are potentially thinking about having kids or have young kids or have any trauma that's embedded within their relationships that they would like to iron out. Um, it is quite amazing some of the stuff she has to share in terms of some of these simple practices that can really create a massive shift. There's a lot of hope in this podcast for relationships. There's a lot of guidance. So hopefully you get a lot of that out of this. So stay tuned, tune in to this wonderful conversation and I will see you there. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days, you can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Yeah! 
Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and we have with us this week Daphna Linda. Daphna, how are you? I am happy to be with you. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. For those tuning in for the first time to Daphna's work, she's a clinical social worker, certified um, dietic development psychotherapist. Her area of expertise is actually helping children. But there is a lot going on in the background there. And I think the key thing that inspired me to have this conversation with you today, if I'm thinking about a few words in my head, it's the profundity of play. <laughs> awesome. That's Tell us right. a little bit about um, how you got into this, Daphna. Well, my journey started as a young social worker. And I got my, the first job I got was taking children who were in a residential placement. In other words, they lived in an institution from age six to 12. And then I was charged with putting them in a pre-adaptive home that would, I would match the family with the child and then accompany them on this journey and hope that they would be able to live happily ever after. However, nobody was prepared for the cataclysmic events that would happen in the home when the child actually showed their true self, that they're super afraid of the intimacy of the parent-child relationship, that one-to-one -one bond, that parent who's always looking out for you, always in your face, always wanting to know how you feel. And the, child, the children are so afraid of that, that um, they would do the most destructive things like I had one kid cut the curtains in the living room, another kid defecated in a corner. It was, it was just so tragic for me. And from there I thought, okay, I'm either going to leave this profession after having dedicated so much time and money, or I'm gonna get the skills. And I just went on this search to find the methods and the perspectives that were gonna help make a difference with these really damaged kids who had been previously abused and neglected and who had gone through so many losses, nobody even knew their history sometimes. So that's what brought me to this, uh, what I, I think of as an integrative attachment family therapy perspective of working on the parent-child relationship from the attachment perspective, but it encompasses a whole lot more and encompasses many aspects of the parent um, and their attachment history, as well as a very physiologic perspective on how our, our nervous system and our physiology interacts with one another as parent and child. So it's very, I would say, I would call it very organic and very, um, very sort of instinctual, um, very embodied. Thank you so much for sharing that. I do want to find out what you found as some of the best um, approaches to to navigating your way, like <laughs> through some of these challenges that you mentioned. I'm hoping um, potentially in that, if I can pre-program a response, <laughs> how dare I? Um, uh -huh. to sort of also yeah. wonder what were some of the things that were disrupting children's intimacy with their parents. Oh, okay. So the, um, when a child is first born and their attachment system is primed and ready to uh, connect with their uh, primary caregiver, if that primary caregiver is not safe, is not attuned and responsive, the infant will find a whole bunch of ways to adapt to their parent to make it so that they could get the most amount of caregiving um, possible 
And that means that they have to change the way they feel and the way what their needs are, how they want to behave um, and match it to what the parent's expectation is. And if a parent is abusive or neglectful um, chronically when the baby is young, what's going to happen is the, this child is going to grow up completely mistrusting of any vulnerability or being able to show their true selves. And then they are taken out of those abusive situations, but those patterns are still completely rooted in their soul, in their DNA, it's in their cellular um, expression by this point. And so they see any adult who really wants to take care of them as a menace and they will push in the most um, primitive ways to say, I, I, I won't let you reject me. And so I'm going to do the most disgusting or the most um, sort of uh, um, disturbing things to show you that you don't want me so that I don't feel that um, that it is. I don't want to feel the rejection. So I'll reject you first. And it's uh, it's really beyond any kind of normal day to day, like psychology approach that you would do with typically developing kids, like give them a sticker for every time they clean their room or or finished you know, finish their dinner or something like that. That doesn't work at all. So what does work? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is, is radical acceptance, which is so hard with these kids, but we cannot change them. And in a, um, through any sort of um, modeling or providing guidance or provide, providing consequences, things that we think of when mom kind of molding a child, we need to give them presence and acceptance on a really, really basic level. So they need someone who is steady, who is looking at them, but is not kind of getting in too close and demanding intimacy from them. So at, at the beginning could be just a very, very quiet and reassuring presence with a lot of safety in, in terms of, you know, making sure that all the things that are dangerous are out of the house. Like, you know, in our, in my case, literally like taking out the knives from the home or other um, dangers uh, and um, sharing really, really basic experiences like like playing in soap bubbles or um, making mashed potatoes together or digging in earth um, things and, or, you know, um, the, just the very, very sensory things that you would do with infants with no demands or expectations for, um, for them to um, thank us or to show, you know, that they're learning something. So it's this really simple radical acceptance that they need first to feel like, okay, maybe, 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 just maybe I can be safe and take a breath and like start looking around and being like, oh, there's another person here. Maybe they're interesting. I don't know. I might give it a chance. Well, that does sound a bit radical. I've, um, Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. the risk of sort of pointing any fingers um how does like i'm yet to meet or how does a parent not have expectations yeah so i think that the child that i'm talking about who was abused and neglected and is doing these you know um really uh horrendous things is just a an extension um of what a typically developing child grow, who grows up in a loving home is also doing, which is they have their own um, set of um, wishes, beliefs, uh, motives, uh, dreams, talents, and parents are constantly trying to, um, you know, put their expectations on their child and make it so that the child sort of bears witness to what the parents' greatest values are. And so that's really um, the challenge of being a parent is being able to check oneself and one's expectations and really be able to um, pause and figure out what am I, what is this conflict about? Because the conflicts are endless with children. Um, And every time that we have a conflict with a child, we have to check ourselves and figure out what is it that we are, um, what is the, the sort of underneath the drive that we're trying to um, get met through our child and stop and sort of let that go so that we can figure out what is this kid really saying to me? Um, so it isn't, having no expectations is impossible, but you have to go get really let go of a lot of expectations um, if you want to have a harmonious relationship with your child um, and the people who will do it for the kids that are really, you know, the toughest kids, I, I mean, hats off to them because really there's so much, um, there's so much challenge personally when you're, when you're a foster parent to this kind of child. And yet these children are literally the greatest teachers of the world because actually they're such survivors um, and they have such resi- resilience and they blo- they can blossom and give you hope for the world in a way no other you know phenomenon can. So it's really worth it um, is what I would say. In the example, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> and in the uh, in the example that you shared was 
the the tasks that you were encouraging, um, like you know, doing mashed potatoes or something of the sort, they um, they're simplified, they're stripped back, um, they're they're oh. playful. Tell us a little bit about your what play means to you. I guess is probably a great place to start. What does play mean to you? Right. So um, I'll tell you a few things, and I'll tell you a story. Play to me is when you're in the moment with a person and the whole world um, falls away in terms of like, um, you're not worried about the time or you're not noticing anything else, any distractions because you're in the here and now and you're sharing a moment and there's um, there's eye contact and laughter, there's moments of surprise, um, there's movement, there is you know a dancing quality about it where there's like a give and take and reciprocity. And there's oftentimes, you know, a little bit just of, of, of um, being really silly. Um, and this is the source of joy for kids and really for all, all people. And that's why people love to still, you know, to play and, and dance together. Um, but this, it's, the, it's just the energy that gives you hope for, you know, what is it to be connected with another person? It's just that moment where, you know, I look at you and the, you look at me, we do something or say something funny. We both have the same intention and we explode with laughter. And it's that sense of um, just real connection and joy. So our games, my activities that I would do with a parent and child, they're not competitive and they don't involve a lot of rules. And they are basically, um, uh, really just very face-to-face, movement-oriented, sharing kinds of activities. Um, so it wouldn't be a board game and it certainly wouldn't be a uh, video game. Um, and I'll give you just an example, if that's okay. I had a, a I, I worked with a 12-year-old girl. She came in, she had been adopted at age 10 from, um, you know, a foreign country where she lived in foster care and she was miserable. It was really a neglectful experience. And her adoptive mom came to me after her, this girl had been in her home for two years and said, you know, this girl hates me. She won't talk to me. She won't even tell me how her day at school was. Uh, she thinks I'm disgusting. She won't let me sit next to her at the dinner table. Um, and one time she when the mom said, I, I wanted to check if she had a fever. So I put my hand on her forehead. She said, Ew, don't touch me. And would have these rages um, that would be ostensibly over nothing. Like you didn't get the right food from the little, didn't get the right ramen or something from the store. And she would just call her mom names and run to her room and um, cry piteously. And when the mom wanted to connect with her and just go to the room and say, how are you? You know, knock on the door. She would, if she just tried to open the door, the girl would scream, get out of here. And it was this ferocious um, rage and fear. When we started this girl, when we started therapy at 12, she didn't want to talk about anything and said she didn't remember anything from before she came to the United States. And it wasn't a language issue. So I just want to make sure that it, it, that she, she wasn't a language issue. And what we started doing is playing games. For example, I um, took some, some, some lotion on my hands 
and I put lotion on her arms, like from her elbows and then um, to her forearms and her hands and made them really slippery with lotion. And I held on to them. This is a 12 year old. I held on to them. And then I pretended that I'm trying to hold on and then I'm slipping away from her because of the slippery hands. Now, as I'm pulling and moving back, I see this huge smile on her face. And I'm when, I, when I'm almost uh, about to lose her uh, you know, contact with her hands, I said, oh, oh, and then I fall back and go, oh no, I slipped away. And then I pop back up and grab her hands. And she's like standing, she's like reaching out to me like a baby with a big smile. And we do this a couple of times and she's giggling. And each time she looks at her, her adoptive mom and I say, you know, it's really fun to be silly sometimes. You didn't know that. I don't know if you had, did you have a chance to be silly when you were little? And she said, not really. You know, she shrugged her hands or her shoulders. I had the mom do the same thing. And I saw the same look of this like very young, happy girl who was so eager and so wanted to connect. And what we did is we did those kinds of activities that you would think that a child of 12 didn't want and wouldn't um, participate in. And it's like, she just kind of melted and soaked it in. Um, this comes from my TheraPlay training that um, I'm a TheraPlay trainer and uh, supervisor. And we, this is our, our work is to create these moments of connection between parents and child. And uh, we did this for like two years, uh, every week. She got so much better. And I said to them, do you still want us to keep coming? Because I see you've made so much progress. And they said, you know, this is our special time. We want to make this time just for the two of us. Um, and even if, you know, we're doing the same things over and over again, um, it's just our special playtime. And she didn't want to give it up for the world. And by that time, she was 14. I have so many different examples like that. Um, but one of the most important things that happened is that the mother who had felt this adopted mother had felt so, um, so demoralized and so in, just incompetent because her, her adoptive daughter was rejecting her. Mm -hmm. And when, what we do in, in therapy is we videotape the sessions and then we have parent sessions that are once every month. Um, and I showed her a bit of the video and said, look at how she's looking at you. And she said, I just think like. Could it be that she really is smiling at me like that? Because I feel like maybe she's faking. And I said, oh, no, no, this, you can't fake this. And it really, I said, she really wants to be in contact with you. And this was the source, the beginning of this mother's awakening into like motherhood for the real, real, you know, for the first for the first um, in, 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 a, in a sort of claiming kind of way where she was like, maybe this child here does actually need and want me. And she was able to, to change her mind about her ability to go into the room when her daughter was having a fit of rage and was crying piteously. And rather than feeling rejected, she had kind of the courage to sit next to her and do some of these activities with her. And um, the, girl, the girl started um, really opening up and telling her about her day and coming and sitting on her lap. And she said, um, can I, she said, mom, can I sleep with you in my bed, in your bed? And the mom said, you can, what's wrong? She said, I'm afraid somebody's going to crawl through the window and kidnap me. And that, that's something that most likely she saw happen or some other, you know, something it, that did not come out of thin air. 
And the mom said, yes. And of course we'll like lock the, it was hot that went summer. And she said, we'll lock the windows. We'll put the air conditioning on. We won't sleep with the windows open. And she slept in her bed for, you know, six months, but that's what she needed. And that couldn't have come out in any other kind of more verbal kind of therapy, it was those awakenings of the attachment connection that I think really elicited the trust in the child and made the mom, um, you know, claim her space as this um, girl's mother. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a great example. One of the things um, <laughs> that came through with that is also the baby smile, like you can't fake your humor. <laughs> That's something that I've been uh, aware of really early on as a, yeah, it's just something I've, I always say to my friends, it's like, you know, just, you can't fake what you find funny. <laughs> and I always just look at my friends and it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I find it very telling um, of certain people. It's like, oh, you found um, that funny yeah. of all the things, you know, and it's like, oh, that's who you are. You know, like you really can't um, mistake your joy. One of the, that's um, right. Yeah. yeah one of the things, and one of the, I was just going to say that one of the most fascinating things about laughter is that you can't, it's, you cannot be anxious and have an authentic laugh at the same time because there are two mechanisms that are completely on off. And if you switch one on, the other turns off. Mm. So that's why it's the laughter is also such an indicator of health and growth because you can just, wow, did you see that? You were able to be in that moment of joy with me. Mm. You're getting, you know, you're getting there. And, and really becoming mindful of that, um, that joyful self. Mm. And the, it's um, so yeah. important. And yeah, as the, the importance of it, like I remember um, tuning into just like some principles on, on this and it was um, like laughter is actually uh, like human beings versions of grooming each other. Um, as monkeys kind of groom and pick out like, you know, little bits and pieces from each other's fur, laughing together is actually how humans groom each other. So when we're laughing together, it's actually like an internal kind of picking at the nits, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it really is because what it is, is it's stroking each other as if you are, um, uh, you know, fostering the other person's like, ego in a way like saying oh yes 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 and and there's nothing more attractive than somebody who finds you funny it's like <laughs> it's literally the be all of you know of attraction if somebody who is you know is thinks you're charming and laughs at your jokes so that's why it's a huge part of flirtation too um so it's definitely i could totally see you know <laughs> that it's part of like the grooming is yeah. to are you really listening to you and do you see my spark mm -hmm. which you know is really fostered when you're an infant i mean oh my gracious um uh such a source of power to think for you to see your parents laughing and enjoying you is like that's like a lightning bolt of uh <laughs> you know of energy for the child yeah not sure what to say about that now that I laugh at my own jokes. You are your and I'm like, no one else is laughing, but I'm laughing. And everyone's like, what? Bro, like, no, people you only start do... laughing because the fact that I'm laughing at my own jokes. <laughs> but that's a little bit of a Emirates neurosis, I guess, out there in the open. Well, I think that's very involved, actually. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. That's the inspired evolution. <laughs> laughing at your own jokes. Because you're in, 
you really enjoy yourself you're not doing it for the other person although your laugh is so <laughs> contagious that i think they could they will laugh anyway just from your laughter oh, I touch mm. thank you so one of the things i wanted to um drop in on which i found yeah. quite remarkable in your sharing was you mentioned these moments of connection you know when this person is slipping um and then you know there's that there's that moment where you both smile and there's this there's this one moment of connection um that happens mm -hmm. and i found it something remarkable just in your sharing like the light bulb that went off in my head was okay mm -hmm. so we can have sporadic moments of connection that can mm -hmm. heal um such extended periods of disconnection Mm hmm. Yeah, because um, they really, really build on each other. Okay, because when you you you're uh, sharing a moment with someone, and, um, you know, incidentally, you live with them, right? So I mean, this is not just a person on the street or in, on the, the train that you just, you know, catch eye contact with. Um, that you, your natural tendency as a baby, then, you know, as a human infant is to look again, and to say, can I replicate this? Could this be just a fluke or can I replicate this? And so we're like experimenting. Um, and, and so if a kid has had negative experiences and you know was like harmed and abused and neglected in intimate moments of, of you know, that, that could have been um, sharing and trusting moments, then a glimmer of hope and, you know, sparks in them and they think, could this happen again? And then the parent has to find moments and try. And, you know, that builds a, um, like a, a brand new muscle or sim a system, you know, of, 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 a, of, a, of a cycle of connection. So it, you know, it doesn't happen just with one. Um, and the parent actually is the one who needs to try to like replicate these moments or look for opportunities. Instigate. They, yeah. And they need to instigate it and they need to also be really, really um, durable in their uh, ego, not to get like so hurt that they're just reeling back, which really, you know, it's very, very hard when you're being rejected a lot. Um, but just to, to those glimmers of hope, uh, the parent really needs a lot of support, but to, um, to latch onto those and make more of it. And that's meaning making. That's meaning making between, between parent and child that says like, you're interesting, you're fun to be with, um, you have something to offer. I really enjoy you for just the way you are. Um, so that's also why, you know, this is not about performance. This is not about um, doing well or, or any kind of um, evaluation. It's just, uh, just who be who you were meant to be. And I enjoy you. Mm. Well, it's it's powerful. Yeah. I love that. So words that are coming through to me as in qualities of, um, a parent that can help um, a child that may be disconnected is playful, mm -hmm. um, accepting. Are there other other virtues in there that you would invite in? Yes, I um, would also add um, curious and empathic. Mm. Um, luckily for us, it spells pace, which is a also an important aspect of timing and rhythm. Um, so it's a lovely acronym: playful, accepting curious and empathic. Um, my, my wonderful um, teacher and, and mentor, Dan Hughes, created uh, the 
dyadic developmental psychotherapy model, which is a which I'm a trainer in, and um, the uh, acronym is really his attitude in, that he developed and that I hope to embody in uh, my work and in my daily life. Mm -hmm. But there's, instead of um, asking it, curiosity, so if we talked about acceptance and playfulness, curiosity is that a child does something or a parent, you know, your spouse, um, it doesn't matter who it is, does something that's truly baffling to you because you're a different person and you can't understand them. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of curiosity is to ask a question in the most curious tone to find out, I wonder what made you say that? Or I'm, I wonder what made you think that way? Or I wonder um, how did you feel about that experience we just had? Um, it's a tone rather than you know content. And it means to say like, what is, you know, what, is it that 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 you're really thinking or feeling underneath and you will if, if you say it in a curious way you will get their truth they will be able to give you a sense of what their motivation was and then you can have a ton more empathy and understanding um so it it, it is uh, curiosity is really kind of the foundation for the drive for connection is what's going on in, in that, in that, in your world, like your neighborhood, your, your, your mind is such a foreign place to me. Tell me what's going on for you. So that's curiosity. And it's the best way of being able to understand a child who does things that are really, um, you know, completely strange or, or totally, you know, that, that you just feel like you'd rather just bite their head off and tell them, go to your room, you horrible person, you're grounded forever. Um, and then empathy. Um, empathy is, you know, the word empathy is so overused. It's just like, especially if people say something like, oh, um, I can understand how you feel, or it sounds like you're feeling sad. That is grating on people's nerves in the worst way, um, because it sounds so clinical and dry. What people want is to have empathy through your saying, uh-huh, or yeah, or gotcha, or, you know, you have to embody your empathy by saying, yeah, 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 you know, something that's more vocal and um, more body. And um, that is what we think of as empathy. Like, I really believe you. I'm really listening to you. I understand. And I don't think you're crazy. That's really the, 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 the message of empathy. And that those mechanisms playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy will go so far in uh, reducing the amount of conflict between parent and child and anybody really, um, and uh, in gaining understanding. And then the connection and the cooperation comes so much more easily. Because that was going to be my question. What is, um, what is the symptomatic of a healthy functioning relationship? Is it the connections and the, yeah. Um, and the joy, what is, what do you see as being the positive outcomes of applying mm -hmm. this PACE methodology? Um, okay, so one thing is you're gonna get a really, um, you know, you're gonna have a ton of ruptures in your relationships, like constant uh, disagreements, constant different ways of looking, constant like slights and hurts. One of the most important aspects is the ability to repair and repair doesn't necessarily mean saying I'm sorry and making a full acknowledgement and, and 
a, a whole dialogue. It's a bid for connection. That's like, let me reconnect with you and show you, I still want you in my, like in my circle. I still want to be us to be in the mm. same sphere. So it may just mean checking in on somebody and saying, Hey, you know, um, I'm cutting the salad. You're so good at cutting cucumbers. Can you come and do it with me? Or, you know, just sitting on the couch and sitting close and like touching forearm to forearm or um, giving a look that says um, I'm interested in you, um, you know, and sometimes verbal acknowledgement of, oh, that was really unpleasant. We had a, you know, for that disagreement, um, I, I'm, um, you know, really like happy for us to chat about it or do you just want to, you know, hang out together. But um, it very commonly is very hard for parents to, to make overtures to their children to say, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, or I want you, you know, let's, let's resolve this um, without giving a lecture and explaining themselves, um, which is actually the worst thing you can do. Uh, so if any parent is listening, you know, just the repair needs to be, hey, bud, let's go do something together. Not, do you understand why you were in timeout? Or, you know, I didn't mean to make you feel upset, but it's my job to teach you as a parent. That lecture takes away all of your bids for connection. So it has to be like, shut your mouth and just do, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah. So I think repair is one of the most important things. The other thing, you know, is the awareness of the um, parent and that the, the parent needs to be able to check her own stuff. Um, our stuff is from our childhood that is constantly roaring up in us and we're like vomiting it on our children. And then we have to say, wait a minute, hold on. I got to take a minute. I got to recenter, got to drop in, as you say, and be, you know, um, be aware of what is motivating me. What is making me feel so intensely you know, in need of control right now? Um, and then also, I mean, the one thing, it's so hard because everything that children do, uh, I mean, everything that parents do, our children are watching. So how we treat ourselves mm. is paramount. Do you show self-compassion? That's the question of the day. As a parent, as a parent, are you compassionate to yourself or does your voice constantly saying, I messed up, I'm not good enough, I'm too fat, I'm not good at my job, people don't like me. That's exactly what your child is going to absorb. Whether you give them a million compliments and take them to all the best ballet classes, it doesn't matter. Mm, so they're modeling. Yeah, I. Mm. wow, all three of those are so important. I, the, the first one you were talking about, repair, I found it quite, um, it was the resilience, the relationship between the pair of you. Yes. Um, yeah, I found that, um, yeah, that's what was echoing in there for me. In terms of being able to repair some of the examples you gave, and I'm probably just seeking to gain some clear, like further clarification sure. is, of course. Um, let's say you're, um, how do you discipline without needing to repair or there's going to be, you know, how does one go about you know, enforcing discipline then um, if it's, because it can, it can't maybe there's a part of me that wonders if it can be play all the time. <laughs> oh no, um, not at all. Is, yeah. So oh no, you got to have, there are consequences when you can repair by saying, um, by not, um, 
judging the kids more like motives and ascribing negative moral motives to them. I'll just give you a perfect example. This is so common. Um, a kid took his uh, um, his brother's like iPhone from his from his brother's from his brother's room and he wasn't supposed to go in there. Um, and so, you know, the iPhone is missing and it's found in his brother's room. Um, it, it's, you know, his brother's phone is found in his room. And the mom says, well, uh, how did this phone get here? What, where did you, you know, what, did you take your brother's phone? He says, no, he's, but I, I found it in his, in your room. So why are you lying to me? You know, it's not even so much that you took your brother's iPhone from his room without his permission, even though you're not supposed to go in there and you're, we know your iPhone was taken from you because you were playing with the wrong game. So um, it's that you lied to me. Okay. And then we have this whole thing of this cascade of shame. You know, the kid is now in triple jeopardy because he was punished to begin with. He went to place and took something that wasn't his. And now he's been called a liar. And this is, a huge trigger for parents. If they think their kid, their kid is not honest with them, it's like this huge trust issue and uh, it goes so downhill from there. Mm-hmm. I would suggest taking out the morality altogether and the judgment and say, hey, you know what? I found your um, brother's phone in your room. So I um, now we're going to, you know, you're going to give it back to him and there's going to be some kind of consequence for taking his phone. Well, I'm curious though, what is, what is, um, you know, what made you um, uh, go in there? What was your, you know, what were you trying to do? And, and what were you, um, what were you feeling? And he would say, well, you know, um, I knew my parent, my kids, my friends were, um, were texting about going to the park on the WhatsApp. And um, I didn't know what was going on. And I just wanted to find out what they were doing. And I say, okay, that makes complete sense. Thanks for sharing that with me, son. I, you know, I'm happy to know what's on your mind. Um, okay. And then you can say to him, what are we going to do? Um, you took your, you know, what are you going to do that's like to make it up to your brother? What that you think was, you know, would be an appropriate um, gesture to um, show him that you respect his, his things. Um, well, I could, I don't know. I could, um, do you want to write him a note or, you know, you could suggest some things and you, do you want to give him something of yours to show him? But that's the consequence is that he has to think with you about what you, what he can do to sort of make it up for, um, for violating his brother's uh, privacy or trust or whatever. And then you also know that he needs um, a sort a way to connect with his friends if he's, you know, and, and maybe you can help him with that. Um, but I didn't catch him in a lie because I knew what, you know, I, I don't need to ask him how that phone got there. Um, and my tone was not that of you're no good, rotten, crappy kid who's going to go to jail if you don't stop it. Um, and you're not a, dis- you know, this disappointment to me and watch out. Um, that's the consequence. And if the parent had decided, you know, based on this, then you're not going to be able to go out with your friends. That's a consequence too. It's up to them to decide that. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, But to separate the consequence from the actual connection with the child and the, um, I still think you're a good person. I I understand you. And, um, you know, you're not like in trouble, you know, you're just, this is kind of, this is life on life's terms. If you take somebody's phone, um, you you lose a privilege, right? It's kind of 
there is some truth to, you know, the rules. They're there for a reason. Thank you so much for clarifying that. Yeah. One of the things <clears throat> that's jumping out at me is mm -hmm. potentially, and I probably am speaking, thinking about other people rather than myself. Um, no potentially problem. Myself. But um, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. you like there's a lot of, you work with a lot of play. Um, and I wonder what is it in your mind that leads that, as we get older, this is a gross generalization, but as we get older, um, we tend to play less and less. <laughs> What's going on there? Oh, because, um, you know, life is so serious and we have to be so serious and we have so many expectations for us to, you know, um, attain our, you know, consume our, our, our goods and buy our cars and, and uh, like, spend every moment thinking about how to make money. I mean, um, I really think this is part of society that um, just like, you know, dampens our uh, um, energies and our creativity to, to just connect and play and dance and, and recreate and um, make love and, and have just like, you don't have the bandwidth for any of that. If all of it is about stress all the time. Mm. Um, so I really think it's like imperative to disconnect somehow and put boundaries. Uh, I really believe in like consuming less and having smaller houses. And I don't even believe, I mean, this is really, um, you know, in America, this is so radical to say, like, I don't even believe in college, uh, you know, university, like, I, I don't know what, um, uh, what is the path that would make a person have a balanced life where they can have enough money to live, but also have plenty of time and energy to like sleep well and eat well and different things like that. It's, practically non-existent um, <laughs> there's there's hardly a, mo a model for that mm. um but that's i think that's that's one of the things i liked my i gravitate towards the people who are um exceedingly play playful and silly that's what i want i want people who have that um playful in energy and that they're still like really young at heart mm. thank you so much for sharing that yeah um, one of the it's things really good I feel like it's um, it'd be inappropriate to let you go without asking this question. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned the word attachment before. I feel like it underpins quite a bit of stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what attachment means to you and potentially what it underpins? Uh, okay. It's the sense of feeling like you have a safe harbor and that it comes from the most primary relationships of whoever took care of you when you were an infant, whoever came when you cried or when you, you know, called or where you were hungry or you were wet or tight or, or, or sick or um, in pain. And somebody not only came and, you know, met your need by changing you or feeding you, but sat with you and said, Oh, you're such a hungry baby and held you with their loving eyes makes all of those neural connections in the brain of a sense of I am worthy and the world is a trustworthy place and it's an interesting place. And you have to have those things happen over and over again 
where that same where those people come and they treat you gently. They're not mad at you for having a dirty diaper or being or that you're annoying them, and that they have that in in their eyes. You can see I really enjoy you. That is what gives a person a sense of security that they can go out into the world and say, you know, um, I can make it today. Like I can get my needs met if I have to ask for directions or if I get lost. Somebody will help me. And if the one person who is a stranger doesn't know or, or is not nice to me, I can still find another person who I can, um, you know, who can guide me. And it's because of this inner belief that comes from those early experiences of that, that security of like both the, both the somebody will take care of me and protect me and the joy. And that's the platform for so much of our, um, our, our human experience. Hmm. can i ask what do you feel to be the most formative period of a child's life um and what point does it stop what par- <laughs> i won't find a parents off the hook <laughs> parents off the hook <laughs> they i see that's really easy. okay there's no doubt that scientifically that the period between you know third trimester and the second year of life so through the second year of life is the most impactful time of 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 brain and neural growth and all of the richness of the experience there there is like sets the um the tone and the trajectory for the rest of the child's development um and it continues and it continues and it continues and the, the, the mind is, you know, the brain is really plastic and the subsequent experiences make a huge difference and it never stops. But the, 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 the longer you get away from those first two years of life, that um, those patterns are set um, more prominently and will take um, more effort to mold into, you know, a more healthy direction. The nice thing is, is first of all, we never stop needing our parents. Um, If you're talking about like the functional thing where parents are off the hook, they don't need to support their kid anymore. Who's, you know, should be on on their own and and making their own dream. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. Is, is definitely the case. You can, you can, uh, as what the, the um, it's not the financial aspect. um, It's the, the, the need to come back to, to a safe harbor and to the loving arms of somebody who will accept you and who will see you for your essence and not judge you for, you know, the horrible mistakes or the sh- that you've made or the shame that you feel about yourself. And that, you know, it's still literally when you walk in the front door and somebody offers you a cup of tea and says, sit down, they're there if you know you're upset or something like that, and that it doesn't matter what you did. That's really what people need, and they continue to need it. And the nice message of hope that I really want to tell you, um, Amrit, because this is something that people come to me with all the time. They say, as parents, I, I work with so many parents, um, you know, it's, it's, it's devastating. They th- They say, you know, I, I didn't know any of this and I really hurt my child. Uh, you know, in his early years, I yelled at him and I, and I was, and I was an addict and whatever. And now, you know, he's 16. Is it too late? And the most beautiful thing in the entire world that I can say is it is never too late to restore the relationship with your, with your child. If you do the work, 
if you're there for 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 in, in you know in a really good and and sort of um, quiet way where you're receptive to them and you're no longer reactive and you show them that you're interested to, uh, in them in the most basic level, you're willing to um, take ownership and responsibility for the things that you did in the past. You will see gifts in the relationship that will that can change no matter how old the child is as an adult um, and that the subsequent years of the relationship can make up for all those years and you can you can literally you know be on your deathbed and look at your child and say you know my god we have such a deep and satisfying relationship you know thank god that i did this this, this work it's never ever too late to repair with your child so that's the message of hope to the parents out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for those ages, third trimester to the age of two, ideally mm -hmm. where <clears throat> is the invitation to embody those values of pace? I think, um, you know, when it's, a, when they're, when they're babies, it's a little different because, um, uh, it, we're dealing with some, you know, something that's, a, that it, it's, it's just this, like this most, you know, instinctual primary um, being, right? So mm. when I think of pace for babies, I would think of, you know, let's say a baby. Now, I wish that this is a podcast, so you can't see, they can't see my body, but oh, let's they say the, they can. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was, I was not aware that we were really <laughs> going to be on camera, but if a baby says, you know, bristles and goes like a two-year-old goes, um, you know, just like that. And you go, oh, you know, and show them, I saw that, like we experienced that together. So that is that kind of um, uh, acceptance and, and empathy, empathy that I'm talking about. Um, and, um, you know, as far as even going younger, when a baby is colicky and they have a pain and you're up with them in the middle of the night and you just don't know what will make them feel better, just the actual rocking and shushing and humming and swinging and swaying and stomping and all the things that you do, that is showing I accept you mm. in the most radical way. I won't leave you alone. And that nervous system to nervous system matching of my, my body is trying to vibrate on the same level as your internal pain makes the baby's pain lessen because it, when humans feel I'm not alone in my pain, it literally lessens the pain. That's amazing. So it really is. Mm -hmm. I want to sort of take that conversation just a little bit further. Um, the nervous system's vibrating and that kind of, what do we call that? Co-regulation. Uh, co regulation. Yeah. <laughs> so the two different nervous systems um, co-regulating. Is it too far of a stretch for me to sort of allude to potentially that's where intergenerate, like a lot of intergenerational stuff, potentially even epigenetic conversation drops in at that point um, mm -hmm. where our nervous systems co-regulated to meet our parents needs and then mm -hmm. you know we kind of hand that down to our children in terms of where our nervous system is at and how that co-regulation happens is that a safe sort of like am i am i pulling at threads here or is that a thing potentially um i think um you're getting i think in different language you're getting at the same sort of um uh 
theme. So, because what you're saying, you know, we, we, and we um, sort of nurse uh, various, um, you know, intergenerational messages in our mother's milk, but how do we do it? So if, you know, let's say um, a man comes in the room and um, my mother tenses up and becomes really quiet and still, I, as the baby in her arms, will feel that. And I will have that same reaction. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, on a bodily level, the baby can tell when the mother is tense and it could be a certain tone of voice in that, in that, in the male, it could be the way that he moves his body, whatever it is, but then that is inherited. Um, you know, it's a learned experience that the baby will then, um, not be aware of when she's older, but she will have the same sort of visceral reaction to certain kinds of males of authority or whatever, um, whatever she was sort of um, like soaking in. Um, and yeah, so that's part of like, we, we, that there's something that we need to make, start making that conscious. That's the part of the work so that we can untangle and uncouple some of those reactions. some of the negative reactions. Yeah. Hmm. Seems like initial parenting requires a lot of awareness. Is that what you would say as well, or is it just have as much? Yes, yeah, how is, and, and, how and yet, and yet, none of us. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You say yeah, it again. Thanks. As you were going to say, go on. And yet, none of us are aware. You know, I mean, we have babies. We just do. That's not. It's not. It's not. We don't. There's not a prep class. Actually, mm. shockingly, there's not even a universal support group like there is for like AA and and you know whatever because you really would need it. I think everybody could use it. So um, <laughs> you probably, I had, um, we had Dr. Shafali Sabari on here and, and when she was pretty mm-hmm. radical, she said, conscious parenting, don't have children. <laughs> if you really want to be radical about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, Absolutely. I think that alludes to what you're saying in terms of, yeah, there's, there is no manual. There is no kind of um, waypointer, which actually I've been, before like having you on, I was looking at um quite there's a lot of YouTube channels of people uh-huh. describing their own journeys uh-huh. with their own children, um, almost turning like I need a better way to language this, so pardon me, I'm mm-hmm. doing this for the first time, but like almost reality TVing their life with their kids um in the uh-huh. early stages because I think there's and you know, there's a lot of people following because I think there's just not that many accessible resources um that people can really connect with and bond with it at for those early stages of a child's career yeah child's being whoops child's being career yeah it's and that's that's really painful because i think it's so isolating as it is as a parent um i would say that this message the, the message is okay none of us are we're all unaware when we have kids because we actually don't even know there's no prep class that would um uh be able to predict what the child would trigger in you until he actually does and it's like a gift if you look at it the child is there to teach us something about ourselves and so it's 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 really um you know um learn as you go um but the the key is take that moment take that time to think about it reflect journal um speak with a friend um, who has similar, you know, who's gone through similar things or um, seek therapy 
um, because the child is there to teach you something about yourself. Um, and that's how we become, you know, more aware. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daphna. Um, yeah, there is so much, so much ground that we've covered here today. Um, one of the biggest takeaways personally for me and the inspirational one is for those that are tuning in, it is never too late to play. Um, I think that's, that's like one of the biggest ones. And, and also the fact that, you know, it's just, you know, you can just create moments of connection, which can heal, um, you know, periods of disconnection. So that really is, um, an inspirational voice in there. Is there anything else you wanted to share, um, before I let you go today? Uh, I think I want to, sh I mean, I want to thank you for your work, um, for being a, um, a array of hope. Um, that's really important. There's a ton of hope. Um, I've really seen like miracles happen between, between parents and children. Um, change is completely possible, even in the most impossible situations. Um, but we just, we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. We need another person. We need help. We need the help of lots of people. So mm -hmm. if you haven't, if you have a problem, talk, say something, open your mouth, reach out to somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, um, that's why I appreciate your work. Thank you so much. Daphna, I want to thank you for your time, your energy, your presence, and you know, all the hope that's impregnated in the message that you've shared today. Thank you so much for being here with us. And also, it's not just today, you know, it's a lifetime's work that you've informed into your presence here today. So thank you so much for doing mm -hmm. all this work to help us on this path. And as always, from the Inspired Evolution community and myself, wishing you the best. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be with you. Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 